The surprises continue at the World Cup, and this time courtesy of Group D, Australia. Socceroos, unbelievable. For the second time in their history at the World Cup, they make it to the round of 16. And Tunisia, by the way, they beat France, even though it didn't matter due to Australia's win. It was their first victory against a UEFA side in the World Cup. We have a great show today. Luis Miguel Echegaray, LME here. James Ollie joining us later. But Rob Dawson, Rob, unbelievable. Rob, I had this group so wrong. I might as well get fired from ESPN. Rob, give me your initial reaction first from Australia's victory against Denmark. Yeah, you know, massive. I don't think any anyone, even in Australia, thought that they were going to get through the groups. It, it was it was prize enough that they were here at all in Qatar having qualified. So anything above and beyond that was, was a bonus. And, and this will be considered a, a huge bonus because I, I just don't think it was expected at all for them to get to the group, particularly at the expense of, of Denmark, who did so well at the last Euros. It was unbelievable. Some of the players from Australia's side, by the way, were put together from obviously the Australian League. Uh, I believe Aaron Moy had to be recalled back into action for the squad. I'm Peruvian, so this hurts a lot for me because obviously... Peru and Australia played for that play-in match to get into the World Cup. And it's unbelievable what they have achieved, honestly. But let's focus a little bit, just a little bit, on Denmark. How disappointed has it been for them? Because a lot of us, including, you know, our colleagues, had them going very far. I had them topping the group, Rob. What's going on? What happened to Denmark? Yeah, I'm, I think a lot of people would have agreed with that. As I say, you know, they did so well at the last Euros. Um, you know, getting deep into that into that tournament. Obviously, they, they've got Christian Eriksen back for this tournament, who's been in such fine form for, for Man United. I think if you look at that group when the draw is made, you think France and, and Denmark are the teams that are going through. Um, as I say, I, I don't think even people in Australia would have expected Australia to get through. Um, look, it's, it, the World Cup throws up these things, don't they? You know, they throw up these these results, these games, these fixtures, um, and you can just never tell. And if, if Saudi Arabia can beat Argentina, then Australia can get through a, a World Cup group. And the thing about the knockouts, you know, no one will want to play these teams. If you're in the last 16, you're there for a reason. And no one wants, whether it's, whether it's Argentina, whoever they get in the next round, no one will want to play Australia because they've shown that they've got the grit, the determination, that Aussie spirit, I suppose. It's a cliche, but it's true. To, to get through when, when people don't expect them to. Um, and that's a huge, a huge policy when you're in tournaments like this. Yeah, Rob Dawson, you just said a very good point specifically about this World Cup, which is at this point, because I feel the quality of play in club competition, wherever it is, the heightened knowledge of how a player trains and gets ready to be a professional. I feel that the margin of difference between an Australia, a Costa Rica, you know, uh, even a Tunisia who beat France today, you know, and everybody else, a top contender is so thin that anybody can beat anybody. And we have seen it, obviously, aside from the host Qatar and the disappointment of Wales, so many teams have been able to pick up valuable points. And Australia, by the way, could become the first country in World Cup history to advance to multiple knockout stage rounds under different confederations because they advanced to the round of 16 in 2006 playing under the Oceania Confederation. Obviously, they moved uh, to the Asia one and they could become the first one unbelievable all right let's cue in by the way we have uh alexis 
Nunez, I believe, is joining the show. Alexis, this is amazing. You know, this is the first time me and you are talking. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to ESPNSC Daily with Rob Nelson, James Ollie later. Alexis, how are you? Give me your initial reactions of what we just saw as Australia make it to the round of 16. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Sorry for the shaky camera work. We're here just walking out of the stadium, got some very, very happy kangaroos bouncing about. We saw lots of those inflatable kangaroos. And look, it's just, it's a great story, right? Who doesn't love happy kangaroos? And this for Australia, I just feel like, you know, as you guys were talking about, I don't think anyone really gave them much of a chance. You know, just speaking to all of the boys are here with us, Nadam Anu is here with us. And even Nadam was saying, none of us in our brackets had them getting out of the group. None of us. And now we've all had to kind of go back and look at our brackets and wonder where we almost went wrong because we didn't see this coming. But to be honest, overall, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That game was a bit woeful. Uh, it wasn't a pretty one. It wasn't sexy football. It wasn't anything like that. But you know what? The Aussies were obviously playing for the draw. Denmark really didn't threaten them at all. The crowd was trying to get them going. The Aussie crowd was amazing. But in the end, that goal, one-man show there from Matthew Leckie was amazing. And then the stadium just went to bits. All the kangaroos were being thrown everywhere. Scarves were being thrown everywhere. And now, Australia, out of the group stages. Imagine that for the first time since 2006. Absolutely. And that was obviously, we were talking about it, how the, the, the famous Totti dive and Australia were so good in that 2006 World Cup. And I was just telling Rob Alexis that as a Peruvian, I'm smiling bitterly because it's amazing that they are able to do this. Let me ask you something because it's your first, you know, uh, appearance for us in the show. You've been working so hard over there. Fantastic to see. Um, what, what's been your highlight so far from, from being there and, and seeing the fans and everything? What, what, what's been your highlight so far at the, at the tournament? Oh, my days. There's just been so many, to be honest. I suppose, honestly, has been seeing all of the fans because they have showed up and look, it's I think we all knew there was a lot of interest surrounding this World Cup um, for the good and the bad. The fact that it is, you know, the first one in the Middle East, it's a long way to go for all of our nations that are used to playing football and following our countries, you know, around the different confederations. And just seeing all of the fans show up, knowing that they come from so far, especially, especially the Mexico fans. I mean, what amazing vibes. They always bring, always full of song, always dancing. I remember going to that match at Mexi House. We were invited, so we weren't at the stadium. We were, we were at the Mexico fans' fan base um, uh, to watch the match against Argentina. And look, everybody wasn't really hopeful about that match. Uh, you know, they were expecting Lionel Messi and company to take care of business, and that's exactly what they did. And literally about, I want to say, 15 minutes after the full-time whistle, everyone kind of was quiet it was down and immediately after they got up and they were dancing to musica ranchera it was amazing and they carried on like that for the rest of the night just reminds you that this is a world cup you know of course it can be so heartbreaking but it's such a unique and special thing to be at you really feel like the world is here we love this game so much so even though it can tear out your heart you know it really just brings together some amazing stories and amazing vibes as well well, Alexis, my Jama Jamaican hermana, I'm sure the reggae boys would have probably added even more flavor uh, as a Peruvian. I don't even want to talk about them. <laughs> Listen, I don't even want to talk about them. I'm still angry. <laughs> Peru and Jamaica can hug each other in consolation as well. well. We'll take care of Leon Bailey for you at Aston Villa, Alexis. How about that? We'll, Please we'll do. do that. <laughs> Please do. And Mikel well, Antonio at West Ham. <laughs> absolutely. 
Absolutely. All right, Alexis Nunes, thank you so much. Take care of yourself. That's Alexis Nunes, by the way, who's doing such a great work over there at the World Cup. Bye, Alexis. Thank you. All right, Rob, there we had a nice little surprise from Alexis. But let's welcome in James, Ollie. Let's continue this conversation. James, Rob and I are pretty uh, gobsmacked, to be honest with you, at seeing Australia, the Socceroos, making it to the round of 16 for the second time in their history. Uh, give me your initial reactions from this group. Did you expect this, James Ollie? Uh, no, I mean, I had Denmark as my dark horses for the tournament. So I think we can all agree, just do the reverse of whatever my predictions are and you'll make some money if you fancy a bet. Um, no, I mean, look, I think Australia, as everybody said already, really clearly exceeded expectations. Uh, I mean, four years ago, they were in a group with France and Denmark and got one point. And I think most people who watch Australia on a regular basis would have thought a similar fate awaited them here. So... The fact, I mean, <clears throat> I was actually watching the second half of that that Australia-Denmark game. And, and to be fair, they sort of almost out-Denmarked Denmark, really. They mm. were very difficult to play against. They were very compact. They didn't concede much in terms of chances. And then the goal they scored was, I thought, was just a fantastic counter-attack. Really, a high pace, brilliant finish. Um, and really, they just sort of stayed in the game long enough and then got the chance when it came. I just... I just didn't see Denmark being this toothless in attack in particular. They scored one goal. Christian Eriksen scored their only goal of the tournament. Um, and having obviously got so far, you know, England were a little fortunate to beat them in the semi-finals of the Euros last year. And having got so far just 18 months ago, I, I really expected them to go much further this time. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, it's not the case. Uh, let's focus and let's wrap up this group very quickly, Rob, on France. Obviously, they rotated their squad against uh, Tunisia. Tunisia got that victory. We mentioned how historically important it was for them, but France are through. Uh, did anything from that match, Rob, make you worry about France or are you sticking the same? Yeah, no, not not worried at all, really. I mean, you, you can make a case, you know, at this stage of the tournament, if you're already through, do you, do you pick your best team and, and try and you know maintain that momentum into the, the knockout rounds or do you rest players? Um, for the games ahead, I, I think in, in this situation it's, it's completely understandable that Didier Deschamps would want to, to rest players, uh, key players who he's going to need later on in the tournament. Um, it's also important, you know, when you're in a squad dynamic, especially when you're away from home in, in Qatar at a training base, that everyone feels part of the squad and that you, you use players who, who perhaps didn't play in the, in the first couple of games just to keep everyone on side, really keep the spirit up, keep the group motivated. Um, so no real complaints about Didier Deschamps' um, team selection. Obviously, you know, footballers at this level never want to lose games, but in the end, it doesn't really matter. I think it's far more important that, that players are kept fresh for, for the last 16 and quarterfinals and beyond. Yeah, and there's a couple of other factors there, I think. Not least, it's an expanded 26-man squad for this tournament and you've got more players to keep happy. You know, it's it, it, in years gone by, France are not one of those countries that have had issues at tournaments, the inter-squad issues and, you know, players who are bored or are not playing who get affected and they start speaking out and then somebody doesn't like what they've said and then all of a sudden you've got an issue within the camp. If players are getting game time, if they're on the pitch getting minutes, even if it's in a, sort of on a rotational basis like this, then you sort of assuage those concerns. And also, I think it's worth remembering that France made six changes for their... Uh, last group game at the last World Cup and that worked out all right for them, didn't it? So, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't read too much into it in terms of momentum. I, I think it's it's just Deschamps' methodology and, and um, you know, I mean, we looked at, so I'm sure we're going to come on to talk about England later, you know, they obviously made some changes as well. A lot of the sides that have qualified are, are going to try and freshen the teams up, I think, just as I say, on the one hand, to keep the squads um, involved and, and everyone sort of on side and together. 
but also you know these are these are uh, there's a day less between these group stage matches so it just encourages it more to keep people fresh for the later rounds yeah the world cup is all about objectives and getting out of the group is the number one objective let's uh, before we move on to england as james alluded to james back to you and then rob you concluded but very quickly all right just give me your what do you envisage uh, for your predictions in the knockout stages for these two teams australia and France, if, if it's changed at all. Obviously, Australia, very fresh. But what do you envisage as they head into the knockout stages, James? Well, it's, it's a tricky one in that we obviously don't know which team they're going to play yet, either of them, because they're going to play the winners and the runners-up of, of the games from tonight's group. So, look, I mean, France, you, you would expect France to, to beat whoever they play in the last 16. I mean, if obviously if somehow they get Argentina, then that, that, is, a, that is a tremendous tie. But I, I just think... Um, I mean, Australia really could play with a sense of freedom now. They've, they've, they've exceeded all expectations. This should be treated as a free hit for them. Um, and that will make them dangerous. But, yeah, I mean, I, France have got to be considered among the favourites. As I say, they potentially play England in the quarterfinal. They've got a difficult run from, from uh, looking at the quarters and the way they're shaping up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you few would bet against them going all the way again, really. No, if I was Australia, I'd be looking at, at the last 16 and possibly beyond that. And I know that sounds ridiculous, given that we've just spoken about how they, they should be happy to be here and happy to qualify and all that kind of stuff. But when you play in the way that they do, they're, they're so compact and, and so well organised that the teams, the last 16 games anyway, between all these teams, are all going to be very tight anyway, because you're talking about the best 16 teams in the world. There isn't going to be much between these teams anyway. We, we talked a little bit before about how the standard of these teams is, is getting closer to each other anyway. If you're, if you're Australia and you're hard to break down and hard to beat in these tight games anyway, you know, funny things happen when, when games get to extra time and possibly penalty shootouts at this stage of the World Cup, funny things happen and, you know, teams do make little runs and, and you know, I wouldn't be massively surprised from this point if, if Australia do go a step further. Yeah, the knockout stages is essentially a brand new World Cup. Uh, speaking of the knockout stages, let's talk about England, of course, and uh, they'll be facing Senegal. It was... Uh, you know, after all the commotion, after all the complaining, it was the most goals scored by an England team in the group stages. So pretty good. James Holly, should they keep Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden in this lineup or, or revert to Saka, Sterling or a combination of the two? What, what are you thinking? Well, there's been a narrative around England uh, involving a few players. You think of Harry Maguire, probably most obviously, but also Raheem Sterling in particular about loyalty over form, effectively, that Gareth Southgate has picked some of these players because of what they've done for England over a longer period of time, rather than what they've done with their Premier League clubs in the last sort of six months. And I think that's going to come to a head on Sunday because, you know, objectively speaking, you don't pick Raheem Sterling. You, you, you don't start him on form. He's not, he just isn't playing well enough. But, you know, Gareth Southgate has never started a knockout game without Raheem Sterling in his lineup. So, you have to assume he's going to revert to type, given how methodical and, and sort of pragmatic and, and um, thoughtful he is about these lineups. You would assume that he will entrust Sterling with that responsibility again, knowing the firepower he's got off the bench. I would suggest, therefore, given how well Foden played, I think he'll go with Foden and Sterling either side of Kane. But look, I mean, it's going to be very difficult to drop Marcus Rashford. I suppose if you're being hypercritical about that performance, he did miss a good chance at nil-nil. 
the first goal was a, was a good hit, great free kick, but it was a free kick in isolation. And you could argue that the goalkeeper should have saved his second goal. Now, that's not to detract from anything that Marcus Rashford did, but but given these extra fine margins we're talking about, and Bakayo Saka did so well in his, in his first game in particular, look, I mean, he, he's got such attacking options there that it's going to come down to those little judgment calls here or there. But I, I, I would think Sterling will come back in because of that loyalty that's been repaid for him so many times in the past. And I just think the clamour around Foden was so great and he played so well, obviously he scored as well to boot, that I think it would be those two. I think, he, I think he has to play Rashford. I, I, I can't see that you can watch him perform like that against Wales and not pick him. And, and it's probably one of those situations where Gareth will have looked at the, the groups and the games and the possible games to come in the knockouts and have a, an idea, even before the tournament, of the teams he wanted to play. But sometimes in, in World Cups, things happen. And you just have to, you have to pick players who are, who are absolutely banging form. And, and if you're Marcus Rashford starting that game against Senegal, just imagine the confidence and the belief that he's going to have when he starts that game. Um, and, and even you know ahead before that, I think his, his style will, will suit a game against Senegal. I was at that Senegal Ecuador game, and they are very very strong centrally. Mm. If you've got pace out wide and the, the pace and the, the directness that Rashford has, you know Senegal will not want to see him on the team sheet on Sunday. Yeah, I mean that's all of that makes perfect sense, and this is what I'm saying. This is this is the argument is that that is really that's that's unarguable what Rob's just said there. However. Southgate goes to Sterling in the big games, and yeah, it's what's going to happen. And, and how do you find a place for him if you're going to, you know, Foden really, I think, has to play as well. So how do you find a place for him? Even if you change the system, you're not going to get four of them in there. So, um, and 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 this could be the stick that Southgate's beaten with if they go out. Of course, say he goes with Sterling and he do, and he shuns a Rashford who's in top form now. That then comes down to that loyalty really backfiring in in, in the biggest way possible. The important thing to remember with this England team is obviously that no matter what, Marcus Rashford deserves some kind of significant role in this game. But the opponent is the crucial thing. To Rob's point, Senegal are very, very good, but they do allow some spaces, especially out wide. So it'll be intriguing to see how that works out. Let's ask this final question before we move on to both of you. Rob, I'll go with you first and then James, you jump in. Would you rather have Netherlands instead of Senegal at this point or the other way around? No, you've got to take Senegal. Um, I was surprised, actually, that, that judging by social media, that lots of England fans um, would, would have rather had Ecuador. Uh, I mean, I, I thought, you know, Senegal have, have had moments where they, they haven't looked great. They, they're obviously here without Sadio Mane. Um, they missed two fantastic chances early on against Ecuador to put that game to bed. And they're missing that sharpness up front. You know, traditionally, or, or through qualifying, they, they've built their qualifying campaign on not conceding goals, but they, they, they didn't look like that against Ecuador. They conceded from a, a set-piece, a particularly sloppy mistake on a set-piece. Um, if you're England, you know, Senegal have got some great players, but there, there is no reason at all that England should not get through that game and, and into the quarterfinals. Hayes, what do you think? I think, I think I'd rather have had the Netherlands, to be honest, because <laughs> I, I, I just... I just See, I love this. This is great. It's got, <laughs> do you know what? It's got, it's got the vibes of Colombia to me, that, this game in 2018. The same stage, last 16. People looking at it going, OK, maybe we start thinking about the quarterfinals and this is a game England should win. And, you know, Senegal, it's going to be the match of their lives, these Senegalese players. And, and uh, you know, I, ju I just, I have reservations about England being able to sweep them aside, as, as so many people seem to think. 
they confidently will. That that game against Colombia became a bit of a war. That was an absolute attritional. Obviously, came down to a penalty shootout in the end, and I, and I could see it being similarly tight on Sunday. They know, you know, there's there's no sort of unknowns in in football anymore. But England would know more about the Dutch naturally. I've I've seen a few quotes from Phil Foden today, actually, just talking about the Senegal game, saying we don't really know a lot about the players, we don't know a lot about the team, we need to do our homework. That would not be the case with the Dutch. And obviously, remember when you go into these tournaments, you can do you know, an exponential amount of work on the group stage opponents because you know who they're going to be from sort of seven, eight, nine months out. You've got five days here to prepare. And I'm not making excuses for England, but that's why I think if, if they'd got the Dutch, they'd be like, right, OK, I think we know how they set up. We know the individual players. Half of them play, almost all of them play in Europe and half of them in the Premier League. We don't, there are fewer unknowns we need to factor in here. So I think I, I, think I would rather have had the Dutch if I'd had the choice. Well, I tell you what, English it's going to be an intriguing way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, just look a couple Covered of England for too long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you need it at least twice a day. That's absolutely right. Well, I'll tell you what, the other team that got out of that group was the USA, USMNP. They, with a squeaky, with a very thin line, one nothing victory over Iran. Christian Pulisic with the victory. And uh, remarkable stuff. And the Americans, obviously, back here in the US, everybody's very. Uh, happy about it. They returned to the knockout stages. It's been a massive objective for Greg Berhalter. And our own Taylor Twelman was on first take earlier uh, to discuss this historic, gigantic victory with Stephen A. Smith. Check it out. Uh, right now, they've won yeah. one game and tied two. They've won one game yeah. and tied two. How many, how many goals have they scored in these three games? It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, from my understanding, too. Come on, man. It's a success. Really? That, that, that's what we're doing now? This is the United States of America. Yeah. This is the United States whoa, of America. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Go ahead. Uh, Stephen I mean, A., are they playing on Saturday? Yeah. Are they huh? playing on Saturday? Yes, they are. Wait, hold on. Are they playing on Saturday in a knockout uh, game in the World Cup? Answer me. Yes, yes or no? It's a yes, yes or no question. Yes. Yes. I said yes. Yeah, they got out of their group. I said Is yes. that task number one? I said, task number one, to, whether you finish first or second, is get out of the group. Yes or no? Okay. All right. All right. I mean, listen. I can't. I'm not. Listen. Yeah, they I'm got not, out of the group. Debate show. They got out of the group. I'm not what you want to do? debate with you about soccer. You know that. I can't debate with you about soccer. Why? I know better. I know Why not? <laughs> listen. As someone who uh, was born and raised in England and moved to this country more than 20 years ago. I know too well the, the both media landscapes, but I want to hear your thoughts just on that conversation. Americans, Stephen A. Smith, I love him, right? But Americans, right, 
they cannot comprehend the concept of a draw. What do you think of that, James Solly? Could you experience anything like that on the BBC with Gary and Alan or at Sky Sports? It's just too funny. <laughs> no, because I think that the default is is pessimism. We're probably as we, as we were just talking about earlier. Actually, you know, the idea of the idea of a nil nil. I mean, we look we're in in, a, in England. We play. A, a game called cricket where you play for five days and a draw is a very feasible outcome. You know, it's ingrained <laughs> in our psyche that this is something that we do. We can play for five days, we can have yep. breaks for tea and lunch and still have a draw and shake hands and go home at the end of it. All right. So, you know, this this is just not something we don't talk about really in England. Rob, what would you do in that situation? <laughs> is it that, that's not that's not what lots of Americans think anymore right i mean I, I saw the viewing figures for the the american um the america england game and it was like 20 million people that, that watched yeah, it in, in the US. i mean that's so I, yeah. yeah so i mean I, I guess those attitudes and, and those beliefs about soccer or football whatever you want to call it still exist but it's changing right i mean that's you can see that with the number of people that want to watch world oh, cup no. games and I, I, can, I can only imagine that the, the number of people that's going to watch that game on saturday it's, it's going no to be incredible. absolutely Listen, this country is going through a renaissance, a revolution when it comes to soccer slash football. Football, foot, culture, whatever you want to call it. It is, from a participation perspective, the most popular sport in this country. That's a fact. And it's growing and growing and it's beautiful. But the American psyche cannot, generally speaking, comprehend the draw. You have to win or be killed. And it's absolutely hilarious. And James is spot on. Like, you know, you can grow and watch a game of cricket, have a cup of tea, and nobody comes a winner, and everybody's fine and goes home. That is not acceptable in America, and I absolutely <laughs> love it. Hey, listen, let me, before, before we carry on, very quickly in the USMNT, though, Rob, how do they beat the Netherlands? Is this a doable thing for the USMNT? 100%. 100% they can beat the Netherlands. The, 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 the journalists, who are, who are follow, the reporters who are following the, the Netherlands team are, are not happy with the way they're playing. Um, you know, they, they think that Louis van Gaal is too cautious, that they're not attacking in the right way. You know, we all know that the US struggle to score goals because of their, their issues with, with strikers and, and the, the players they've got to pick from. But this is going to be a very, very tight game. And there will be a lot less pressure on the US against the Netherlands than, than there was in the, in the Iran game. And I actually thought that Iran would probably go through and I was wrong. But, and, you know, thankfully wrong. And the, the US found a way to win. And I think if it's a, a similar type of game against the Netherlands, which I, I, wouldn't, I don't expect the Netherlands to go out and blitz the US at all, the, the US can, can definitely um, win that game, the, particularly in midfield. You know, the, the Netherlands have got some wonderful midfielders, but the midfield for the US since they've been here have been absolutely fantastic. Lou van Gaal, we're looking at that game thinking this could be trouble. All this from the man who wanted England to avoid the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the consistency in this? Okay? I, I mean, no, I, I agree. I, I Obviously, because I made the other argument earlier, I agree with Rob. It's definitely a winnable game for, for the US. And, 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 and yeah, that midfield three. I, I, um, I was speaking to someone in the England camp the other day, actually, who told me an interesting statistic that in the six years that um, England have been managed by Gareth Southgate, no team has run, has covered more distance in a 90-minute game than the USMNT did. Mm. And I think that speaks volumes to just, in particular, that midfield three and how good they were, um, Adams, Moussa and McKenney. I mean, if you look at Bellingham in the first game and the third game, they marked him out of that game, really. And, and the fact that he got taken off was an absolute testament to the three of those, particularly McKenney, I thought. You know, they, they were excellent. And, and that just shows, really, that, you know, how influential that midfield 
can be. And yeah, they can absolutely cause the Dutch problems because, you know, as I say, I'd like to play them. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're calling this one the Serginio Dest is mine derby. So it will be interesting to see how that one goes. All right, let's move on. Let's wrap things up because it's not a day of football or even the World Cup without some Cristiano Ronaldo news. And Rob Dawson, obviously from that very viral, popular, whatever you want to call it, interview with Piers Morgan, Ronaldo stated obviously and expanded on how, you know, there was an offer from Saudi Arabian club. And he said in that, in that, in that interview, he said, yes, I rejected it in that moment. And now reports surfacing that this is the most likely destination. What's going on with Ronaldo's fate and, and this Saudi Arabian interest? Yeah, well, there's certainly an offer on the table for, for Cristiano Ronaldo from um, Saudi Arabia. It's, uh, it's similar to the, the one that he turned down in the summer. Um, the one slight point is that they're offering to, to pay Ronaldo the wages that he's missed out on by leaving Man United. Obviously, you'll know that he, he left United without a payoff. He agreed that mutual termination. Um, the money involved is, is astronomical. Um, and really, it's going to be down to, to Cristiano. You know, he, to, in my mind, he's got two choices now with his next club. Either... He wants to eat every last pound and dollar, whatever, out of his career. And he goes and, and makes millions and millions of pounds in, in Saudi Arabia. Or he tries to eat the, last, the very last trophies and gold out there at the top of European football. Because there is still a place for him in European football. But he would probably have to take a pay cut and join someone like Sporting Lisbon, where he started his career, or, or Napoli. Um, you know, a club that, that takes in these kind of fallen hero types like they did with Diego Maradona. Um, ultimately, it's going to be down to him. At the moment, it seems like he's going to go down the money route. Um, he takes the money in Saudi Arabia, but the, the, the true cost of that is him admitting that that's his career at a top level finished. That he, yeah, he, There's I, no coming back from that. And you, you, don't, you don't play for Portugal again at the Euros. That's you done. Um, yeah. You make a lot of money and you're a rich guy, but you don't, ever, you don't ever play top level football again. I would like to see him stay in Europe, but it's up to him. Yeah, I, it, th that very last point, and thanks, Rob, for all of that. Uh, James, is this... The best offer for him? Is it just obviously about money? Is there really no other club out there? I mean, I remember Gab Marcotti saying a few weeks ago, and he's right, and I'm sure we all agree with this sentiment. It's like, it's up to Ronaldo, really, if he wants to reduce. But is this the best offer for him? Well, it's maybe the only offer for him. I mean, I know that Ronaldo has this, and he put this narrative out there with Piers Morgan about you know, denying that there was any suggestion he wanted to leave in the summer and he was always fully focused on United and he was the one that had been betrayed by the club and all of this. I mean, it's, it, it is nonsense. You know, George Mendes was meeting clubs, trying to jump up interest the minute that Manchester United were not going to qualify for the Champions League. You know, he met with he met with Todd Bowley at Chelsea. He met with several other senior owners and, and, and people involved at top European clubs and they didn't want to touch him. And, and you know, and it's sad. Look, Ronaldo, I have nothing against Ronaldo. He's a fantastic player one of the best of all time and, you know, can still clearly perform to a high level. But it, it speaks volumes that he, as a free agent, does not have top clubs knocking down his door. The fact that he's even considering going to a Saudi Arabian club shows you that the distance between where he sees his level and where top European clubs see his level is larger than he would ever wish to admit. And that, unfortunately, means that he's in a situation, as Rob says, where he, where he either takes a step down, quite a big step down from what he's used to, or he takes the money. And you'd hope that for a player who, again, in the, you know, when he talked about choosing Manchester United over Manchester City, 
oh, it was never about the money. It was about my heart and, you know, where I saw the best opportunity and all of this. Well, if, if any of that is true and if there's any consistency to that, then he won't take the Saudi Arabian move because it obviously isn't the highest level of football that he could play at. And it's not going to be a level of football, as Rob says, that would sustain him into the European Championships. If it is about the game, his love of the game, his passion for the sport and his ability to endure in Europe, he will take a cut price move somewhere. Sporting Lisbon is an obvious option, given his history with that club. But I think he, in, in his mind, he's still thinking, well, a, a PSG could come in for me or, a, you know, maybe I could go back to Real Madrid or you know, I could go back to one of these top level clubs and they aren't there. The interest isn't there. And that's a shame for him. But, that, you know, as, long, as, as soon as he's ready to admit that, then we'll probably get a decision about what he's going to do. Great stuff from both of you. Let's wrap up by just giving some quick predictions on Group C action. And by the way, ESPN FC Daily continues after those games. But this is uh, Argentina against Poland. Unbelievable because really this is it. Can Messi and Argentina get it done against the Polish side that's leading the group? And then Mexico have their own issues against Saudi Arabia. They need a really good result. James, back to you very quickly. Can Messi and Argentina get this done? Yes. Is that quick enough? Um, yes, no, I think they will. I think they will. And I mean, what, what, what I guess the, the game I'd really want to be at was Mexico, Saudi Arabia, because that atmosphere will be unbelievable. Arguably the two best sets of fans at these finals. And I, I never thought I'd say this, but, I, you know, I've got a little soft spot for Saudi Arabians players and the manager because of the collective, the collective spirit they've shown. And, and, and I mean, can you imagine if they beat Argentina and didn't qualify? Yeah, I mean, that would, would, be, just, would be ridiculous. I know. I'm personally in love with Mr. Renard. I feel he's out there to steal uh, your divorced mother's uh, heart any day now because he's so ridiculously handsome. Hey, Rob, give me your predictions on this one. What's going on? Who's going who's gonna to win it? Who's going to come runner up? Who's going to come home empty-handed? I'm worried about Argentina. I think that there's a, a chance that Argentina may go out. I've seen, I've been at their, their first two games and they've been so lethargic for huge spells of those games. Um, they, they never turned it on against Saudi Arabia when they needed to. They relied on a, a moment of messy magic to, to break uh, Mexico down. If that doesn't come, you would worry for them. And um, Poland are a good side with, with a fantastic centre forward in, in Robert Lewandowski. Um, I, would, I would be worried if I was an Argentina fan tonight because I think there's a chance that they may go out. And by the way, Poland only need to draw in this game. Argentina really need to get this going. So it's going to be a massive, massive afternoon. And you can join us on ESPN FC Daily right after those matches. It should be a cracker again. Thank you so much, James Ali, Rob Dawson, Luis Miguel, Echegaray, LME. We will see you after those Group C matches. Enjoy them and have a great rest of your day. Till then.